Hey, this is Mike McGoldrick. Welcome to Barbell Show. No, just kidding. <laughs> hey, this is Mike McGoldrick. Welcome to the Airborne Mind Show. Hey guys, Ms. Bahawk here. Thank you so much for joining me today and welcome back to the show. I'm getting really excited because January 2nd is only a few days away and mobility through movement is about to drop. There's been tons of work that has gone into this program, a lot of research, and uh, our beta version did really well. It helped people improve the overall stability and strength in their upper bodies. And this kind of translated to improve muscle ups, handstand push ups, overhead squats, and the quality of movement in your daily workouts. And so, a lot of this stuff is what you know you should be doing, but you probably wouldn't do if it wasn't written down. It's uh, accessory work that consists of bodybuilding and gymnastics work, and it's very time sensitive. So it's only 15 minutes per session uh, designed to help complement what you are already doing. It's a 12-week program consisting of five sessions per week. If you need additional flexibility work, there's five to 10 minute flow sessions that you can use. And then my favorite part is probably the athlete briefings and the coaching videos that kind of allow you to apply this stuff back to your sport and training of choice. Because I don't just want you to get really good at the stuff that we're doing in the program, uh, but I want it to be relevant to whatever problem you're trying to solve right now. So maybe that's just getting your first pull up at the moment. Maybe it's setting a snatch PR, or maybe it's being able to you know maintain quality of movement when you're you know going hard during workouts. Whatever it is for you, we're kind of try to tie this stuff back into that daily practice. That's super important to me. And you also get a nice little training log, a fillable PDF that you could print out or you could fill out on your computer, helping you stay accountable or using it for whatever you'd like. So if that sounds interesting to you, head over to the airbornemind.com slash MTM. Check out some of the details, uh, see what some of the athletes are saying, and see if it kind of aligns with your goals. And if so, uh, I'm looking forward to working with you. So once again, that is theairbornemind.com slash MTM. I know you're probably driving right now or doing something else, but don't forget to head over to theairbornemind.com to grab your free movement audit checklist. You'll also get a free training video that allows you to improve your strict strength for things like handstand push-ups and pull-ups using some of the concepts that are in the checklist. So once again, head over to theairbornemind.com and sign up. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. So I just got done listening to The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which is one of the books that um, Mike recommends in this episode, and he touches on it a little bit later on, but uh, definitely worth it. I'm going to probably be re-listening to it, but if you have never tried audiobooks out and you want to get a free audiobook and 30-day free trial, head over to audibletrial.com slash the airborne mind show. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash the airborne mind show. Our guest today is Mike McGoldrick. He is the former co-host of the Barbell Shrug podcast, and he also helped design the Barbell Shredded and Barbell Bikini programs, and he's now part of the team at trainingthinktank.com. So I'm pretty excited to you know chat with him and kind of reflect back on this year to see what he's learned from podcasting, what he's learned from you know designing group training programs, and uh, you know he lets us in on some of the things that uh, got him to where he is now. 
and got him working with Barbell Shrugged and you know what he's learned, what he's up to, and all that good stuff. So I'm pretty excited for this one. Uh, it's cool to have him be on the other side. And uh, I'm sure you've heard some of his podcasts. If you have not, head over to Barbell Shrugged and listen to some of their episodes. They do some good stuff over there. So with that being said, please enjoy the show. Mike, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Mizba. Appreciate it. So you have been up to a lot recently in, in the last year, last few years. Uh, before we even dive in, I'd like for you to kind of take me back to where this all began for you. Because you've been, you know, you've been a co-host on Barbell Shrugged. You've been in charge of program design. You've been up to a lot. You've also been an individual um, competing at the CrossFit Games in 2013. You've been on the New York Rhinos and the Grid League. So lots going on. Take me back to kind of how it all started. Um, not to go too far back. I don't know how much time we have, but, uh, it started when I, pl- I played hockey for about 12 years. Um, and that career ended in college. Um, and then of course, just like many other stories on someone's fitness journey, you know, I, I still had this competitive nature in me. So, uh, fitness was always there. You know, I like to stay in shape and I was actually like always the guy that liked, liked the strength conditioning workouts and like the dry land training and all the extra practice, as much as I liked playing the sport, I was also like the same guy that really loved to just like bury myself when it came to training and practice. So that kind of continued after I quit playing. And uh, from there, it just turned into, you know, wanting to continue to stay in shape. And then all of a sudden, I I discovered that, oh, there's this like sport where you can be competitive at trying to stay in shape. And that just like, that just hooked me. And I'd say it was like, six seven years ago it's about my last year in school how about coaching wise did you get into coaching like directly after that how did you tap into that i started coaching probably a year after i started after i found out about crossfit um you know i i'd never i, I went to school for engineering mm-hmm. never had uh any interest um i guess in fitness outside of that and then yeah i started coaching um probably a year after i discovered crossfit mainly just because i don't know i just liked um, I just found it was really easy for me to resonate and, uh, relay to people what they should be feeling and how things feel and, uh, you know, make a connection with movement. So, um, yeah, I picked up probably six, seven years ago, started with the level one and then continued education ever since. And then probably started, uh, individual program design like four or five years ago. Very cool. And is that, would you say that coaching program design, is that what you're up to now pretty much full time aside from uh, being competitive athlete as well? Yeah, that's the full-time gig now. Um, it's taken me a while to kind of get to that point. You know, um, I liked coaching groups. I liked coaching classes. But now I, the individual design is something I'm really passionate about just because it, I mean, it's, it's hard, especially if you're coaching someone in CrossFit. Like general fitness stuff and anyone who's maybe like a, even just a weightlifter or someone who has like very specific goals is, is a little bit easier, but coaching someone in CrossFit is hard because we, we know so little about it, so little about the sport. Like it's just, it's very challenging, which makes it really, really fun. Yeah. So tell me about the, um, I guess the day or the moment that you kind of realize that you can do what you're doing now, like full time, like you can wake up, you get to train, you get to help tons of people with program design. You get to interact with them in terms of coaching. What was that moment like for you? Man, I don't think it was like one day because, you know, like I said, I went to school for engineering and during that time, like while I had that career, I was starting to take on a couple of remote clients and I was running you know, a small business and just kind of doing all these other little things that were involved in fitness and finally it hit me one day. I'm like, 
this is what I'm filling my my free time with. Like, I this is very clear that I'm passionate about this. Now, you know, we've been raised our whole lives to to, to believe that you know your career needs to be about security and you know making sure that you've got it set up for life, you're safe, and um, rarely does it do they emphasize on teaching you how important it is to follow what you're passionate about. Now, it's hard to obviously follow that and make money at the same time so you you got to be somewhat smart and you got to pay bills but i think when i started realizing that you know the remote world was kind of blowing up and people were charging and getting enough clients to take on to actually make a living off of it i thought yeah i could probably start trying that and uh taking on a few more things and before i know it i actually left the engineering job and, and uh, joined barbell shrug and that was basically the first time that i like began uh, full faith in, in my fitness career. Very cool. So what would you say are like the steps that got you that you took that um, got you to working with Barbell Shrugged and kind of balancing well, out that, you know, that the passion, uh, but also kind of paying the bills at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it was super scary because, you know, like I left a very secure, you know, good paying job. And uh, um, I, I had pretty good independence with that job I was in. I was a sales rep. So it's not like, you know, I had desk hours and had to be somewhere all the time. Like, I was still pretty independent with that. So truthfully, I, I can't really say that I know what it's like to have gone from not writing your own hours to having your own independence, uh, just because I've always kind of been that way since I've, since I was, you know, a little kid, like I've always gone out and just had my own business of some sort, whether it's cutting grass or doing whatever, just finding my own way to make my own schedule. But uh, yeah, I would say the biggest step to getting into that was, well, number one, it didesn't hurt to know Mike and Doug on a personal level. You know, th- those guys were pretty much my mentors when I started my fitness journey they taught me almost everything I know about coaching and movement and technique um they were one of the first gyms I started training at so you know it definitely didn't help having a connection there but those guys also resonate with me very well and you know they're very passionate about what they do and really like to help people um and the opportunity they had was something I really wanted to do which was to help coach some of their group programs online and I thought yeah you know it's perfect i I'm not quite run my own business yet or uh, bring on all these personal clients myself. So let me help build a group program, build community, which is something that I really enjoy doing. And um, that was just a really cool opportunity to get started in in the fitness world. So I'm curious, um, you know, you you talk about them being your mentors. When it comes to kind of learning, what for you is the most – I guess, effective and efficient way? Like, do you learn best in seminars? Do you learn one-on-one from mentors, books? Uh, what method would you say resonates with you the most? Man, that's a good question because I'm still kind of learning that about myself. Um, there are times when I'll hear about a book that's really good to read and I'll, and I'll go download it or I'll buy it and I just won't read it. Like, I can't get 10 pages into it. If I'm not interested in that topic at that specific moment, I can't force it down. Like, it just doesn't happen. So, I've got to really follow what I'm passionate about at the moment or things that I'm curious about. So my curiosity is kind of selective in that, you know, I, I don't always have the uh, ability to just pick up and learn whatever, you know, else is out there. It has to be something that I want to learn about at that time. And uh, in terms of like online seminars and education there, like I'm a big fan of any, any courses that are online where you can just kind of check it off, watch the videos and get through it. Um, because it's at my own speed and I like to take my own notes while I do it. Um, it's, I just learn a lot easier that way that some, most of the program design that I've learned online has been through courses Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, movement courses, corrective exercises, things like that. I just learn way better 
uh, when it's online rather than in person because it's just easier for me to not get distracted. Right. You can kind of you know do it on your own time. You could go back, rewatch it, and things like that. Um, yeah, you, definitely. So we'll definitely dig into some of your favorites here, but what are some that maybe you would recommend, some staples, um, whether it's related to movement or just you know any other courses you might have taken? Yeah, so I mean, it depends where the person's at, but if someone's just trying to get into basic program design, like there are some really cheap alternatives out there that'll teach you that, you know, the ABCs, like Charles Poliquin has a really cool module that you can download online. I think it's like a hundred bucks and you get like a coaching consultation with it. It teaches you the basics of periodization and how to write strength sets, reps, rest, all those relationships, really simple stuff to help you get started, understanding tempo. So that was one of the biggest impacts that you know, that, uh, of courses that, that I had that really taught me like how to do this correctly. And not that there's like one perfect way, but just an organized way to like write a good strength program. Um, cause I think that's important, you know, like there's so many different options out there and people learn all these new things and they're maybe throwing too many fancy things out at first for beginner athletes and beginner coaches. And honestly, like, I don't like prescribing anything that I'm not, uh, like super, um, proficient in yet, especially if I haven't really tried tried it and tested a whole lot i don't really like programming it um so you know it's one of those like learn the basics first and that was a really good course definitely so you know i appreciate good questions that make you think and i'm sure you do too uh you know you uh have done an amazing job um you know hosting uh barbell shrugged and and you seem very confident and very natural at it was that always the case no (laughs) absolutely not i appreciate that um I mean, when we first started, you know, it was kind of unexpected that I was going to be taking over as host. Uh, I always liked being on the show, but, you know, I think I think with anyone that you always kind of struggle with your confidence and how much you know and whether or not you're ready to take on something like that. But we just did it, you know, because, you know, those guys needed a break and we needed to hop in and kind of recover the fumble. It wasn't pretty at first. We learned as we went and it definitely got better. And before I knew it, like Alex and I, uh, Alex Macklin and I discovered we had this great dynamic of asking questions. There were things that he wouldn't understand and would ask the question on behalf of a different audience, and there were things that I wanted more detail on. So we just learned about our dynamic with each other, and then I learned about – it's not necessarily about what I know or what I don't know. It's about what do my listeners really want to get from this, and uh, that took me you know, a little while to kind of understand. I, I tried to remember that when I first started and when shows came, but – it's just it's just a learning process, you know. You get better each week, and um, you really want to make it easy for the person that you're interviewing to really get their message out and to make it entertaining as well. Definitely. Now, what do you feel like uh, you've learned from hosting the podcast? Maybe something that you weren't expecting at first. Oh man, you know, honestly, in the beginning, I found myself asking questions almost knowing the answer already because I wanted to kind of uh, profess my knowledge. And that's not what it's about at all. That was, you know, immature on my part. I definitely learned that I need to go in with completely unbiased opinions and honest to, to honestly ask questions for the sake of truly learning. Just because, I mean, I think the second that you become a coach that thinks they know it all, you, you've stopped learning and you're just doing, you know, your clients an injustice. So I try to uh, approach the interviews with the same attitude. Like, I don't care if this what this person's saying might be wrong to me. I still want to hear it because I don't know where I don't, I don't want to take things out of context. I don't know how they learned what they did and where they got it from. So I'm I'm open to hearing it and 
you know, this stuff is constantly changing and we're always learning. So I think just being open-minded was the biggest thing. Now, so you're always learning and you're getting to do that with, you know, the best of the best. Are there any training principles that maybe stood out to you that have evolved over the last year or a few years, like something you believed and held on to, but then maybe a guest may have said something that just sparked your curiosity and, and kind of, uh, you know, made you kind of uh, challenge your thinking a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I go back and forth on it a, on it a lot, and uh, I revisit principles all the time. There's times when I'll write someone's program, and then I'll, I'll get some insight from a, an interview that I listened to, and I'm like, ah, oh, I was looking at this all wrong, so I'll go back. I would just say, like, the management of volume and intensity. You know, like, as an athlete gets older, it's really hard to continuously stress them without overtraining them, meaning that they get more advanced, um, so it's it's natural to think, oh, to get them better, we just need to keep adding more and more to them. But that's not necessarily the case. Like, they are able to put to to put out a higher output in certain workouts, and it could be more damaging to their body. So we've got to understand that, like, as clients age, their training age increases. Like, you've got to really monitor how much to dial back and how how um, how, how dose or dense the response needs to be before you can continuously adding more volume just just to think like well they're not getting better so i'll just pound them more and like it's, we're just more complex than that you know it's not it's not always linear that way so tell me a little more about that how do you manage that because um, i'm sure that a lot of the clients that you have are maybe not just you know full-time athletes you know they've got uh jobs that they're working full-time they've got a family so there's definitely a bunch of other stressors that come into play um what are some things that you do to kind of you know manage that yeah, yeah. So um, it's so easy to to put all your eggs in the basket program design to think that that's like the number one factor. And it's very important to know good principles, in my opinion. But at the same time, it doesn't matter how fancy your program is. If if the client's not getting the majority of the work done, or it's too intense, and you're not recognizing that, like none of that matters. So I'm I put it I put as much time into the program design as I do in following up with my clients and making sure that like. Hey, are you on track with this? Where are your results? Are you feeling good? I need to know all that stuff. Are you sleeping well? Because I'm not adding another training day if you're not getting a consistent six or seven hours of sleep a night. Like you got to earn that. You can't just say like I'm ready for more volume. Like you know, hand it over, and I'll be like, sure. I'm gonna make sure that you're getting you know five solid sessions in a week before we even add anything else. Like if you can't crush five good sessions a week, well, what's the point of doing a double? Yeah, you know, now, or adding more squat volume. Like it's one of those like. If you're not improving after five sessions, you know, I don't believe that, or if we're going back, I just don't believe that adding more is always the answer. I, I get exactly what you're saying. So you're, you're saying that program design is definitely a part, but the experience aspect has to be taken into consideration as well. Um, something that I heard uh, recently that kind of stuck with me is that the best program is the one with the lowest rate of abandonment. And I totally, that rings true with me only because it's like, it can look so good on paper and so perfect, but uh, you're right. If it's not sustainable uh, and if it's something that's overwhelming the athlete or maybe maybe it's, uh, it doesn't have to be always be fun, but maybe it's not engaging, uh, they're going to fall off the boat. So what are some things that you do to kind of uh, improve the quality uh, and control the experience on your end? So that's one of the biggest things that we did with, uh, with Barbell Shrugs, the Shrug Strength Challenge. We recognized that the group programs that we were creating – like the program design was great, but why are people not finishing it, completing it, 
you know, why are some people killing it and some people not? We really stepped back and, and, and rebuilt how we approached coaching a group program online, which I think is something that was just far done, you know, far different from anyone else out there. We put so much time into the follow-up process, making sure that you're not moving on until you've completed this the correct way. And we added in educational systems with it too. So it's not just giving them workouts, you know, every week over and over and over and just saying like, hey, keep up. We had, you know, habit educational videos that come out with it. And we're like, you need to do this and complete this before we can move on and learn. Like, it's so much of an educational process to, to mature a client. Like, it's so important for them to really understand why they're doing what they're doing. Otherwise, they're just going to think it's busy work and it's just going to become less important. And all, all that they're going to think is important is the hard parts of the workout. And that's just not the case. So that honestly, like the most important thing is just time. Like you've got to give your clients time and you've got to take the time to educate them, to help them understand like why they're doing what they're doing and just keep at it. Like just because you told them once doesn't mean they're going to remember it forever. You got to tell them again in a month and they're going to go, Oh my God, I totally forgot about that. Like you're right. Like I should have just gone in and foam rolled and, and rode on the assault bike super easy instead of thinking I just got to get the work in. Like as soon as you can build that kind of, uh, you know, that, autonomy and for themselves as an athlete like it's going to really help them stick to the program and be more um make it more sustainable long long term definitely yeah and because the uh the the shrugged uh strength challenge how long is that is that is it six months it's a year long it's a year long yeah and Mm -hmm. uh, what about barbell shredded and uh barbell bikini they're both a year long Got it. Yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's a great example because uh, to keep somebody engaged for, you know, longer than eight weeks is really impressive, right? So uh, really hard. Are you guys doing this uh, in like, you're directly reaching out to people and you have kind of coaches assigned to certain clients? Is that how you're kind of managing the process? So how we did the shrug strength challenge, which is different from other programs is that we had, you know, four or five coaches in the program now that are all chipping in. And each one of us kind of play our own, our own part in building it. But when you sign up for the program, you get assigned a coach. And then from there, we obviously, like you have the group that you're in where you ask all the questions, post all the videos you want, and we give you, you know, feedback on it. Um, we all monitor that. But the coach that you're assigned to, to, assigned to uh, at the end of every four weeks, you get basically a check-in form. And you fill out all your results, give any feedback, all, these, all this data that we collect – is we test every four weeks different things. The tests change, but we do test. And we have graphs and monitor everything, and we know who, are, who is or is not doing these training sessions, and we follow up. You know, we, we stay on top of people, and that's the biggest thing to keep someone accountable is just like, like it's not about like doing it out of fear, but we're going to know right away, like, you haven't been training. We can see that now. Like, what's going on? Like, we're really going to I – mean, we really care about every, every client that's in this program not just trying to fill it in with right. thousands of people. That check-in process, what are maybe like one or two questions that you would recommend some people ask themselves to kind of, you know, maybe if they're not with a coach that they can check in with themselves and reflect on their own like four weeks of training? Yeah, so one of the first ones that we monitor that's super important is how many training sessions did you miss this month? And just why? Like why did you miss so many? What, what was the reason that you did? You know, was it, that you know, it's a lifestyle thing. Like you are too busy, you didn't make time for it. We really try and figure out why why you actually weren't doing the workouts. Because number one importance is like got to go in and do the work. You know, um, not everyone needs more and more volume. Like I just got done explaining. But at the same time, a lot of people too need consistency in the gym. 
So it, it kind of goes both ways. And if you're just not consistently going in, it's going to be really hard to see results. So some people think that one or two or three days a week, uh, or if, say, they miss one day a week, it doesn't really feel like a lot. You're like, oh, I just missed one day this week. But like that's four sessions out of the month that you missed. You could have hit. You could have missed the same session the entire month on your upper body pressing day and your energy system day. Like that's going to be a, that's going to be huge to you know, hugely detrimental to your to your long term progress in the program. I just want we just want to make sure that they're really recognizing that. And then second, uh, we we ask them to reflect on what are the things they really liked about this meso and what they learned from it. So like. What do you, what did you actually learn this this meso? And if you really have trouble finding anything from that, maybe you weren't, weren't uh, super engaged in it. Maybe you don't quite understand what it is we're doing right now. And and we want to help clear that up. We want you to know why you're doing what you're doing, and you have a good understanding of it. That's awesome. So you've helped create you know barbell shredded and barbell bikini. Uh, and I love asking people who are you know well versed in program design like. What is going through your head when you sit down and to write a program? You've got that blank screen up. Like, walk me through that process. All right, so I'm going to try and remain humble because I, I wouldn't. I appreciate you calling me well versed in that. I'm still definitely learning. Um, there are days where I sit down to write something, and I'm like, the more I learn, I'm like, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so anyone that's starting program design will understand that the the more you learn from someone, the more opportunities you have, and the more choices you have which makes it that much harder but um writing group programs is really really hard especially for someone who does individual design because when you have the individual design you know exactly what that person needs and you can test and you can figure things out when you're writing for a group it's really hard because you have to make a lot of estimations so what we did with the shrug strength challenge was we had a lot of people do this thing called the shrug strength test it was basically our audience and we took a lot of data from that um, basically tested our audience to build an avatar. So we had a male and female average of all these numbers, age, height, weight, you know, training age, back squat numbers. We got as much data as we could based on a group of people that we thought would be candidates to sign up for this program, and then we built that. So, uh, and, and then on top of that, we, we asked a lot of questions, a lot of surveys, like what are the things you want to work on? What do you, what do you really struggle with? Things, it was like, I really want my back squat to go up. I've been training for two years, and it's plateaued now. And then second, it was like my overhead mobility, like overhead squat mobility sucks. Like I, I, I know I need to stretch, but I don't really know where to start and how to structure it. So we built that into the program. So basically, you start with building an avatar. Like you need an average of something that you're going to write that program before. And we built, you know, a, a, a case study client. And, and from there, I just sat down and thought, all right, well, what's the long-term progress with this person? Where are they at? Where do we want them to be? And you just work backwards. That's awesome, man. Um, very cool. So tell me if you were to summarize kind of barbell sh- the, the goals and the objectives of Barbell Shredded, Barbell Bikini, and Shrug. Could you tell me the differences between each of those? Yeah, so uh, Barbell Shredded and Bikini are just male and female versions of the same program. Basically, someone who is more focused on aesthetics but likes doing CrossFit, likes the Olympic lifts, and wants to just continuously like improve their conditioning. Um, but again, like the rep ranges and the strength design is more based on improving aesthetics. There's, there's different types of conditioning and it periodizes. So three months we'll work on hypertrophy strength, building muscle mass and doing long, slow distance cardio. The next few months we change it up and we go through an absolute strength pace to build some more mass. And then we do some high intensity intervals. It just kind of constantly changes throughout the program, but all again with like the main goal of, of leaning out and, you know, staying strong. Gotcha. And then, uh, yeah, the Shrug Strength Challenge, 
was kind of our baby. Like it was one, something that we wanted to create for a long time. And I think the timing of it just had to wait because um, it's got a lot of stuff that I would call not so sexy. Mm-hmm. And finally now I think the crowd and the community are becoming more educated on the importance of doing structural balance work, long-term progression, energy system training. Um, and if you would have thrown that out a couple of years ago, everyone would be like, this is stupid. It's boring. You know, I get any better. This is a training program. Um, that's designed to basically make you feel more balanced and healthy. We had a lot of people that were banged up, had a bunch of strength imbalances. We spent a lot of time in this program working on that stuff and good good energy system development, which just isn't there in a lot of programs. Um, but we, we, we tell people, and it's the truth, like the main thing is we want you to get stronger, and you're going to get stronger, but you don't have to let your conditioning go. And we're going to program design this correctly so that you can do both at the same time. Very cool. And and what are some things? Um, I want to go back to the aesthetics thing for a second. But like when we take a look at aesthetics versus performance, let's say there's somebody who wants a li- you know a bit of both, maybe somewhere in the middle. What are some things that you have to keep in mind when you're writing that program? I think it's important to uh, help the client understand. Like it's it, it can be very hard to do both. So some people will just lean out, just doing metcons and eating. You know their their base metabolism calories for the day like it's just it just works that way some people trying to do both at the same time like if if someone's trying some people with a tough metabolism they're trying to lean out the performance just might suffer so we don't really know until you kind of test it out like i just try and make sure that the client really understands like sometimes to get your body to to change like we're gonna have to do some things with your food and because of that, you're not going to have the energy always provided to perform at your, your at your best. So you just got to tr- sometimes accept that there might be a trade-off and, and, and be willing to let one of them go down for a little bit while the other goes up and just accept that, that it's perfectly normal. Definitely. Now, and if we ask kind of the same question with uh, developing strength while making sure your conditioning doesn't suffer, what are some things there? Again, you know um, – the program we built is is based on numbers we took from a group. So I've definitely seen individual cases where some people cannot get stronger while doing conditioning. Like they just can't do it. They're very hard gainers. I've had to cut out all the work and just basically hammer the strength work. And finally, we got some changes that way. There are some people that can do minimal aerobic work as long as it's not intense, nothing that would fatigue the nervous system in any way and get way stronger doing that. Um, but they're also improving their aerobic capacity, you know, long term. Like, um, I think you can do both. And we try to educate that within the group because every, we tell them, like, look, everyone's going to be different. and You're all going to respond to this a little differently. It is a group program. It's not written for you. Um, so you got to keep in mind that, like, if we test at the end of this meso and you're not getting stronger, like you feel like you're getting weaker, then maybe you need to back off the intensity on some of the conditioning and really keep, keep, the, keep the intensity up on the strength work. If you're someone who is able to pound the conditioning and you're getting stronger, don't change a thing. Gotcha. And uh, another quick question is, um, are a lot of these clients that you're working with, are they, uh, are they also doing their you know, daily CrossFit workouts at maybe their home box, or are they kind of 100% full-on focused uh, and you're design- you're, you have 100% control uh, of their program design? Um, we didn't design this with the thought that you would be doing other stuff. This is an all-inclusive program. Um, it's, it's, it's got a good bit of work, you know. Um, going back to that, we talked about, you know, minimum effective dose earlier. The, the program is like, 
it's five training days a week, 60 to 90 minute sessions, 90 at, the, at 90 minutes tops. Like I would say like 60 to 75 minutes on average. And people like at first didn't think it was enough. And we just say, look, if you're going to be someone that kind of hops around, um, we're not recommending that, but at least for the first month, try to do just this, just so you can see for sure that if this is enough, because it's hard to know if you don't trust it in the beginning and try and do all these other things. And then you get the end of it and maybe you didn't get the progress you wanted. Well, you don't know because you didn't fully commit to it 100%. You were still trying to do other things. And there's just a lot that we don't know about what else you might be doing. Very cool. Okay. Now, so you're you're a bigger dude. You're you know, 5'11", 205 pounds, and you've been known for your strength, but at the same time, you have pretty phenomenal body weight control, uh, and you're able to do you know, 18 unbroken muscle-ups. Where do you think that kind of came from? Like, has that been a challenge for you, or is that just like a lot of that strength kind of just carried over? Um, I, I'd say more skill development. So, you know, I, I relative to the the elite nowadays, like that's like a number that you almost have to have, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like if you're tr- trying to be like a regional or games level, but back then, like that was a really big number, especially for my body weight. And I would say it more came from skill development over time. Like, like there were it, it it took two years of me doing muscle up EMOMs and just constantly refining technique. Like I I've just I'm so nitpick about my technique and movements that I do. Um, I just want to, I just want to constantly improve it. I don't ever think that they're perfect or good enough. I'm constantly trying to improve them. And that just took time from, yeah, like constant skill refinement, like just never thinking that it's good enough. And then a lot of volume in terms of uh, slope progression. So week one, EMOM, two or three muscle ups on the minute, week two, 12 minutes, week three, 14 minutes, just continued to add that volume in to where you know, by the, like there were some sessions I was doing almost 50 to 60 muscle ups and was walking away, not sore at all. And because of the skill refinement, I was able to continue to do that week to week. So I've just done a lot of muscle ups over time. Awesome. Patience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, know, you post your, you know, week's worth of training uh, on your website, which I think is really cool to kind of uh, take a look at. And, and some people find it interesting to kind of dissect some of that stuff. Um, now, do you have a, a coach for your programming or do you do it yourself? I have a coach. Uh, his name's Max El Hodge. He owns Training Think Tank. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I've had I've been working with Max since uh, I want to say last spring, uh, spring of 2015, I believe. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, what do you feel? I mean, are there? Do you kind of when you're doing the programming, are you just kind of like, all right, this is what it says to do. I'm just going to do it. Or do you kind of take a look at it as well and kind of dissect some of the uh, principles out of that? It comes and goes. There are times I look at it and I really want to know, like, all right, what phase are we in? What are we working on right now? Why does he do this? But then at the same time, I do that all day long with all my other programs that it's honestly a break for me to go in and, and just know, like, I'm just focusing on this today and I'm just going to crush everything that's in front of me with the best of my abilities and not worry about it and leave the gym and go back to my other work. Gotcha. So if you yeah. were to take a look at you know your own programming when you're looking at your athletes, what are some things that are just absolute non-negotiables for you? Um, can you give me an example of what you mean? Yeah, like certain principles. If we're taking a look at, um, I don't know, uh, like we're, we want to include a lot of you know unilateral work, or we want to make sure we're hitting um, you know isometric, eccentric work as well. Uh, just little things like that. Are there certain principles that stand out to you that you're like, I gotta yeah. make sure that we look at this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, number one is movement quality. Like the biggest limiter that I get with most of my clients is like 
can they do the movements well enough? And, and majority of the time, the answer is no. And my, my standards are pretty high when it comes to that. Like, I don't like adding things in uh, until I feel that this person could do it when they are dead ass tired. You know, like, I just don't like adding in Olympic lifts under high loading and high rep and high fatigue until they're just really good in that skill. And uh, that, that comes with just maturity with the client and just making sure that they're really, they really understand why you're doing that. Not that you're trying to create a boring program or that you're being too safe. It's just that for long-term development, this is super important. And I just don't believe in this like sink or swim, you know, methodology where I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep throwing it at you and hope that you figure it out and we'll get there. Gotcha. Okay. Now, if we're taking kind of a look at the, you know, coaching practice in the gym, you know, whether that might be a regular class workout or a clinic that you're running, uh, you know, what are some nuggets that you've taken away, you know, from some of the you know, people you've gotten to interview, um, that have been kind of game changers in that sense. Coaching hmm, in, in terms of, yeah. Um, we did a, we did an interview with, uh, Chad Vaughn and Mike service and it was all about coaching cues. And one of the biggest things I learned is like, there is no one way to relate to someone how to move their body. Everyone thinks of it in a different way. Some people need you to have their hands on them to actually like help them feel what the position is supposed to, to look like. Some people can, you can give them an analogy, you know, like, hey, it's like a golf swing, you know, go slow, start slow in the back swing and then really follow through. And uh, you just got to experiment with that. You got to like, you got to be really dynamic with people because you're coaching a group class. You have 30 different personalities that all learn differently. You've got to be extremely dynamic to understand and like each one of them is going to learn things differently. So be flexible when it comes to try and explain a new, a new skill or a new technique. Okay, very cool. Um, so, you know, you've got a lot going on. You train twice a day, you coach full time, you're writing programming, uh, you're just you're in the service of uh, helping other people. And I want to know what does your kind of, you know, your internal self talk sound like when you feel like you're a little out of balance, right? Or you're going through a rough patch, like you're being pulled in one direction more than the other. Uh, walk me through that a little bit. Yeah, that's that's an awesome question. Um, it's actually kind of personal. <laughs> so, the biggest thing, you know, and each each thing that I do, you know, comes with uh, confidence issues. Sometimes, sometimes I don't, you know, I don't, man, like I don't know if I know what the best thing is for this person. And but the truth is, like, if you're coaching someone, you've got to trust yourself first. Otherwise, your clients aren't going to trust you. And sometimes you got to remind yourself that over and over. Like, I do, I do know what I'm doing. Like, I'm confident in this. I like this person hired me because they trusted me. And you got to believe that. You got to continuously believe that. And I, I'm someone who gains confidence through education. So anytime I feel like I'm in a rut or don't feel like I can deliver the service that I'm doing or to my best potential or being creative enough, I got to go learn something, you know. And I don't always know what that is. I just pick up something and try to figure it out. And if my mind starts following it, then I go with it. And it's refreshing when you get done. When you learn something new, I have a whole new outlook and motivation to go write new programs and. Uh, you know, help people out again. Uh, I just like to learn things and share it with people. Truthfully, right. remaining curious is is challenging, but you got to keep doing it, and it's it always work. It's always you know a good thing when when I try to go learn something new, even if I'm not always in the mood to. It always pays off. Right. So, what are some of the choices that you've made that have uh, made you who you are today and have helped you get to where you are now? Um, I think taking responsibility for you know, my own results, my own actions. 
um, I, I really, really try to not be an entitled person, meaning that I don't feel like I deserve anything. I feel like there's anything that I want to do. I need to, I need to do it myself and take it, take it for myself. Um, I think that keeps you humble. You know, the second that you feel like you're entitled because of your past or your history or where you came from, I think that's a huge mistake. Um, it might be cool and comfortable at that time. You know, you knew someone, you had to hook up here and there. Um, I just think that develops laziness. So you just need to constantly, like, I just try to constantly stay humble and, and remove any self-entitlement that I might have. Okay. Um, now, so we're going to run through a couple uh, staple questions. But uh, what if I, if I was to give you a couple billion dollars and you had a staff of 40 people, right, and you can choose – who these 40 people are. So they're, you know, top thinkers in whatever it is that you're recruiting them for. Uh, what would you do with that? You know, you want to use it to make some change. What, what would you do with that? Mm-hmm. Uh, man, that, all right. I wish you'd prep me for that one. <laughs> First of all, my personal lifestyle with $40, I really wouldn't change anything. I'm very happy with how things are right now. Um, what company or type of company would I, would I work with? or create if I had that kind of money. I don't know. Something the first thing that comes to mind is I think that we're extremely wasteful on this planet. I would put the money into developing some some kind of system, uh, a technology that just makes just improves efficiency in the world. It's through automobiles. I think I think automobiles are one that are super wasteful. Uh, car lovers out there, please don't hate me, but <laughs> way too many people way too many people die each year from car crashes and we drive around things that probably just aren't that necessary that just eat up so much fuel. And, um, I think that's something that we could easily have control over and we just don't put a lot into it yet. Right. Okay. And that's so exactly that, what, I'm that's what for. I would do. Yeah. I don't expect you to come up with the whole <laughs> business plan in like two minutes. Uh, well, thanks, yeah, just... I'm not a good business. Person. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So what does your morning routine look like if you have one at all? I do. Uh, and it changes honestly, every couple of months I try and change it up because I get bored. Mm-hmm. Um, Typically, I wake up and I either train fasted or I take the dogs for a walk. Um, right now, my, my schedule is a little, little funky because we're getting ready for a move, but um, it's pretty dynamic. I, I have to do most of my creative work in the morning. So whether that's reading or program design, I have the first few hours set apart uh, in the morning to get that done because my brain uh, is, moves at a very fast pace. Uh, not saying I'm smart or anything, but I have to get my critical thinking work done early in the day because it fatigues out later on. I, I, I have a lot of writing program designs later. I don't feel creative in the afternoon. So I try to get all the creative work done early in the morning. Um, I don't really have necessarily like a very specific routine. I don't get up every morning and do breathing exercises. Uh, I just honestly, I try to get, not feel rushed. Uh, I try to make sure that things are prepared for the day and then I get the creative work done. And then after that, I feel like it's pretty smooth sailing for the rest of the day. So training in a fasted state, is there um, any reasoning behind that? Um, so right now, I'm actually working with a new nutrition guy, and we're doing some experimentation. Um, I'm trying to lean out a little bit, but I'm also trying to still train uh, pretty high intensity. Not super high intensity, but you know enough to still make improvement in certain things. Um, Mondays and Fridays, I, I'm fasted till 2.30. And I've always woken up and done some kind of aerobic work or something that's like, you know, not super stressful on an empty stomach because it feels good. But right now, Mondays and Fridays, we're doing this new fasting protocol uh, to see if we can do some stuff with the metabolism. I'm always curious on 
um, different ways that, you know, someone can lean out. There's so much uh, dogma right now with the macro counting. And I feel like people are like, no, it's, it's about how many calories you get and how many go out and that's it. We're going to adjust that. And we figured it out. And I'm like, no, like our body is not that simple. There's a million different ways we can do it. And I want to continue to try and find out uh, individually like what works for each person. So what better place to start than working with myself? Definitely. Are there some trends that you've noticed from uh, from doing that so far? Uh, for myself, I know what works for me is um, honestly higher intensity conditioning leans me out a lot faster than doing aerobic work than the regular aerobic work. Um, basically, doing more metcons. I, I've noticed more body composition changes doing that, even with an increase in calories. Uh, go figure. And then um, we're kind of we're kind of we're kind of too soon into the fasting protocol to notice a lot, but um, the, it actually takes like a day or two for the weight to drop off of me. So usually the morning after I weigh from the fast, I haven't really seen a, a change in my weight. Uh, but the next day, it's it's down like a pound or two, and I feel very, very, very lean. Very cool. That's interesting. Um, now, this doesn't have to be limited to just training or fitness, but you know, let's go back to you being a billionaire. And uh, you can have you can give two to three books to everyone in the country this year. What would they be? Oh man, I know two of them. I'll think of the third. Um, the first one is a book by Matt Fitzgerald called "How Bad Do You Want It." Okay, uh, an, an incredible mental toughness uh, and endurance training book, like absolutely incredible, game changing. Uh, the second would be I actually just finished this, "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck." Oh, where did um, I, I see that? I saw it on Instagram somewhere. Yeah, I, you may have seen it on Doug Larson's. Uh, we both just read it at the same time, and it's an it's an amazing read. It's maybe you know six or seven hours if you're going to listen to it. Um, but I flew through it, and I'm I'm actually about to start it again because it was so good. Um, the third, Get Change by Chris Moore, easily. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, and uh, now, what kind of impact do you feel like uh, all three of those have had on you? Um, how bad do you want it impacted me on taking more control, uh, in mentally when it comes to doing, um, you know, basically painful endurance training anytime it, it basically helped me cope with suffering better. The idea behind the book, it, it doesn't give you a bunch of exercises to practice. It gives you a bunch of real life scenarios that athletes have gone through, whether it be coping mechanisms or, you know, whatever it is, a bunch of different ways to, to handle pain and get better at um, not necessarily trying to block it, but more accept it and understand that like pain is a gauge and all it is doing is giving you feedback. It has nothing to do with your performance. Now, I was going to say, are you an audiobook guy? Are you uh, like, do you like in print? What are your, uh, or do you do a little bit of both? So I would say more of the, anything that doesn't have anything technical in it, super technical, I would say is an audiobook or self-development I can listen to really easily. If it's technical, I have a hard time listening to it. I like to sit down and have notes and, and write it down, like more courses or just a book where I'm highlighting notes, um, strength training books, whatever. Like I can't listen to a strength training book. No I, I want to write it all down and see what they're talking about. So yeah, anything that's, I would say, more personal development, definitely I would listen to. Cool. And sorry, I cut you off there. What was the uh, the second and third one that you were just about to say? Um, well, get change is, is amazing because, you know, one thing that we can certainly count on is that change is inevitable 
And the more that you become comfortable with that, the, the, the more you'll be able to enjoy life. Um, we just get so connected to how things are at the present moment and we don't want it to change. I mean, it's just natural. It's inside of us, you know, like we want to stay, we want to remain stable. And anytime something comes in and throws us off, you know, we, we freak out and we become unhappy. But the truth is that's, that's never going to stop. That always, that always happens in life. So the more you can become aware of that and accept that, um, it's not, I'm not going to say that change will never be painful again. You just get better at accepting it and coping with it and moving on and learning from it. So great book for that, you know. Um, and then how, uh, what was the other one? Oh, The, the Subtle Art. An amazing book on just learning to stop worrying about so much stuff, to stop caring about certain things. It really puts some things in perspective. Um, there's a lot of good messages in it, but for the most part, like social pressures, especially if you're in the fitness world nowadays, is tough because it's all done online. It's very exposing. It, this book is great to teach you to just let go and to be more authentic and, and just stop caring so much. Awesome, man. I'm going to add those to the list. Um, so if you had to start over, right, and everything you've accomplished was gone and you wanted to get back to where you are now, what are maybe the, you know, one to three things that you would really distill down your focus to? Hmm. Yeah, I would, I think I would look at, uh, my goals a little differently in terms of what outcomes I want from them. I would make them less about pleasurable outcomes. If that makes sense. I would make it more about I'm doing this because I really enjoy the craft of doing it. So competing is a good example. I think a lot of people compete because they're so tied to the outcome, the reward that comes with it. You know, that, that, oh, that feel good, all that praise, the congratulations. And, and when that goes away, they may discover that they don't really like competing that much. And I think that, I think that's just bad. I don't think there's anyone's wrong for that happening to them. I mean, it's natural. I've been through the same thing, but I, I would change that, what my vision of the outcome is to be more about, enjoying the actual process of it and learn, you know, learning to love what it is you're doing instead of only ch chasing that desirable outcome. Very cool. Um, is there something that you feel like you don't get asked enough about something you wish people would ask you more? I wish more people would ask me to be their coach. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's great. No, I, I, that's a good question though. I, I can't really think of anything. Um, usually, uh, usually I'm telling people before they're asking. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's a good place to be. Um, yeah, I like to talk a lot. If you put me in a group setting, I'm just gonna I'm gonna talk everyone's ears off. I'm gonna, especially if I learn something new, I'm gonna teach them about it. Right. Um, so, what should a coach or athlete take away from this podcast? How can they make themselves better today by listening to this? Oh man. Okay. So, if you're a coach and you're just getting into it, or you're still developing, whatever be patient. Like what's the rush to be the best coach in the world right now? Like what's the rush? Slow down, do it, do it slowly. Enjoy it because you're never going to be the best coach in the world. You're never going to, you're never going to reach a point where you're good enough. Like just to accept that you're just going to constantly improve and constantly improve and be okay with that and slow down and just, yeah, don't rush it. Just chill. <laughs> Very cool. And how about for Keep the learning, athlete? Obviously like there's just no rush. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that, uh, get change concept that you just brought up. Uh, so yeah. how about in terms for, for an athlete listening, uh, what can they do? Um, it goes back to kind of the coaching, just patience. Uh, I know you want it all right now. You want, you want the numbers right now. You want to be better than all the people in your class right now. But just, you know, be willing to accept that you're going to fail. Excuse me. You're going to fail a lot along the way. And 
just because you fail once or twice or ten times doesn't mean that you should have to quit or give up. Like that's the whole point of it. Like failing, failing is a blessing. You learn a lot from it, and once you accept that and realize that, you'll continue to get better. Awesome, man. What are some things that you are pretty excited about right now? Maybe in the next couple months, next year. Uh, what are some things coming up for you? Well, I'm very excited to you know announce that uh, we're mo- my wife and I are moving to Atlanta to to join. I'm joining the training think tank staff, and she'll be uh, uh, managing CrossFit Passion which Training Think Tank is located inside of. Uh, I'm like beyond excited uh, to start working with these guys. These are all mentors of mine. They're amazing coaches. I've always looked up to them. And now to have the opportunity to work alongside them is just like, like what a dream job. I'm super pumped. And it also means that remote coaching and individual design will be the main focus now. It's the thing I'm doing. And I think for the first time in my life in a very, very long time, this is the one thing that I'll be doing. And I'm not going to be stretched thin anymore. So that's extremely exciting to me. That's amazing, man. Congratulations. Um, so how can, we, how can we support your journey? You know, where can we follow you? Uh, yeah, where, where can we find you? Um, social media, my Instagram, I post really – I'm actually trying to post less about training so much to show that like, you know, like normal person too. Like I still do normal people things and I, I want to kind of bring that back out. There. It's not only about posting your training PRs but – Sorry, uh, tangent. Um, my Instagram is at McGCoaching. You can reach out through there. Uh, my email is Mike at trainingthinktank.com. Uh, fresh new email. And then uh, my website with my training, as well as you know other little things I'll post, you know, articles, write-ups, uh, whatever, mikemcg.com. Awesome, man. Well, once again, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to kind of drop some insight for the listeners today. Man, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I know you're probably driving right now or doing something else, but don't forget to head over to theairbornemind.com and grab your free movement audit checklist. If you want to check out some of the details behind the Mobility Through Movement program, you can see that either in the show notes or at theairbornemind.com slash MTM. And if you really enjoyed this episode, remember the best compliment you can give is by sharing it with somebody else who might enjoy it, sharing it somewhere on the web, or heading over to iTunes and leaving us a review. That would be phenomenal. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, I always love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much once again for joining me. Until next time.